Psalm 119, and we're going to open up from verses 137 through 144 this evening. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 137. Again, give careful attention. This is the Word of God. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Amen. This is God's holy word. When Christians study the doctrine of God, one of the many important categories we investigate is that of his attributes. I don't normally do this in sermons, but this evening I am going to give a plug for a book that is very helpful upon this subject. It's a simple 130-page book, and it is an introduction to the attributes of God. And it's a short study through this very much important thing as believers that we should be about. When theologians ask, what is God like? They talk about the divine attributes of God. Something that we've studied these past number of months in All Age Sunday School going through what is God. God's attributes are also known as his properties, his virtues, his, his perfections. And these attributes categorize God's nature and God's character. If I was to begin to speak the many attributes of God, you guys would be here quite a long time. But they include infinity, incomprehensibility, immutability, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, simplicity, eternity, spiritually, holiness, truth, wisdom, goodness, love, righteousness, unity, mercy, self-sufficiency, immeasurability, glory, blessedness, and the list can go on. Psalm 119, in the stanza that we've just read, zeroes in on one of these attributes, righteousness. A form of the word righteousness occurs six times in these eight verses. It is that Hebrew letter that reminds us that righteous comes from. I won't try to pronounce it. I'll mess it up. But righteous is the theme of of this stanza. 
Manton writes a helpful and simple definition of righteousness when he says this, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. The psalmist here will look at this wonderful attribute of our God and he will devote his attention and ours this evening towards the righteousness of God and the righteousness of his word. This stanza takes the form of a confession. There's only one prayer request in it, and it comes there at the very end when he asks, Give me understanding that I may live. And while this passage addresses the perfect righteousness of Yahweh, our great God and his word, it also expresses the struggles of those who seek God in that reference to that righteousness. The psalmist testifies of his own zeal and his love for the word. Why? Because it's pure and it purifies him. And though the pursuit of God may indeed bring many conflicts and tribulations across his path, yet your testimonies are righteous forever Give me understanding that I may live. This evening I want to open up this passage under three headings. God's righteous word, God's purifying word, and God's eternal word. Righteous, purifying, eternal. The word and deeds of a righteous God are righteous, declares verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Here we see God is praised by acknowledging his perfect righteousness. God is always right in thought, in word, and in deed. You are not always right. If you knew anything of bringing up children, you will know that when they reach the age of three, four, five, and continuing on, that they think they know it all. I can attest to that with a little red-headed boy that normally runs around. But yet we know that we are not always right. We can indeed be wrong. But God, God is always right in thought and word and indeed righteous is to be the very essence of what it is to be God. God cannot be unrighteous. The word of God reflects the character of God himself. God's revelation of himself and his dealings cannot be less than himself. And since God is righteous, his word is righteous. His judgments must be just or according to truth or what is right. God's word is a record of his judgment. And as their author is righteous, that which comes from the pages of scripture are right themselves. Spurgeon says this, the fact that God's decisions our judgments are right is a great comfort to our soul in a time of trouble. 
He goes on to say, when we are most afflicted and we cannot understand why, we may rest in this most sure and certain fact that God is righteous and his dealings with us are righteous and indeed are right too. When you walk through difficult trials and times, remember your God. Remember who God is. And when we think upon that, what should it make us do? It should make us sing. These psalms were meant to be sung. And even when we think in times of trouble and we remember our God, it should open our mouths with praise. Why? For his glorious righteousness. You see, the psalmist goes on to say, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. All that God has testified in his word is right and truthful. The idea of faithfulness is included to declare that God answers the promises given to us. When we read a passage of scripture that that talks to us and gives us a promise, do we believe it? Do we believe these things? What mercy that we have a God who has meticulous faithfulness in his word. All the details and indications of his promises are true and amen. Brothers and sisters, we can risk it all. We can risk it all upon his word. Manton says his word could be said like this, exceedingly, perfectly faithful. That which you have on your lap is exceeding. It covers all areas of life. That which you have on your lap is the perfect words of a faithful God. But how faithful are we to it? How faithful are we to the words of God written in his word? When we read his word and perhaps it challenges our hearts, what do we do? Do we keep reading and try to blot it out? Or do we read it and do something with it? His word is exceedingly perfectly faithful to us as believers. Because secondly, this evening, God's word is purifying. God's word is purifying. Our righteous God did not give us his righteous and trustworthy word for us to merely contemplate and reflect upon it. And as important as those things are, he gave us his word to do what? To passionately pursue him and obey his word. Spurgeon said, if it, it is not left to our choice whether we will accept them or no, they are issued by a royal command and are not to be questioned. 
That which is not to be questioned is to be obeyed without question. The psalmist develops this idea of obedience to God. But how obedient are we? Writing this, I was reminded of being a young boy. My parents would always tell me to be obedient. I remember a few times that I was not. It didn't go so well. You've all met my dad. He was a lot stronger and bigger back in those days and could hit the heck of a lot harder than he could now. But when I disobeyed, there was consequences. When we disobey, there also are consequences where our heart becomes cold to these things. We're coming here is probably one of the last things we want to do. When someone says, hey, do you want to grab a coffee? We will sometimes push it off. Why? Because we know we are not obeying the word of God. Dear saint this evening, be careful. Obey God's word. Obey it with all that you have. Look at 139. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. The psalmist here has completely worn himself out trying to convince people to trust God's word. He sees the good in it. He sees the benefit of it. He tries vigorously to tell others of it. And yet, they forget. How could they abandon devotion towards God's revelation? Do they not know what God's word is? And since they have ignored it, they have become enemies of God. And thus, they are adversaries of the psalmist. And the psalmist here, the language is that of grieving with anguish. He's grieving against those who have turned their back on the word of God. It's as if the word matters nothing to them. But the psalmist cannot stand idly by. He knows that the truth needs to be told and, and holding on to it is not an option. He keeps, keeps, and keeps going. It troubles him that people disregard God's word. And what do they do? They take the lives of the unborn in our day. Are we troubled about these things, brothers and sisters? It would trouble the psalmist that people disregard God's word and practice many horrible things. They neglect the poor and those who are destitute in this world. And what do they do? They fan themselves. When the world practices all sorts of evil, where men are marrying men and women are marrying women, and then we have all these other things, does it affect us? These things are contrary to the word of God. 
My zeal consumes me. Are we consumed this evening when we see these things happening? Or do we just idly walk past? It troubles him when when the word of God is mocked. When our Lord and Jesus Christ's name is taken in vain. Are we affected? Or do we just stick our head in the sand and hope that these things will pass away? Brothers and sisters, this evening our zeal should consume us because the word of God is being trampled underfoot. People are going against what he says in his word. In these days, we need to pray for courage. We need to pray for boldness. We need to pray that our mouths would be opened. And pray that our zeal, our zeal would consume us and that we would tell others of the goodness of God through his word. Because look what he says in verse 140. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. There is no error. No defilement or sin mixed into the word of God. God's word is very pure. It's like that what we thought of on Wednesday night when we we looked at that silver being refined seven times and it is pure. There is no error. God's servant loves it. The purity of the word reflects the purity of its author. This word is to be beheld. To be loved, not to be disregarded or pushed away. In years gone past, uh, an excavation in Jerusalem, an archaeologist uncovered a small copper scroll. And it had some writing upon it from the Bible. And that fragment of scripture was brittle and tarnished with age. And that archaeologist took it to his laboratory and he worked for four years with unbelievable patience and dedication and care to unroll it without destroying it. And dated around 400 BC, the scroll was a very important find. Why? Because it contained the earliest writings of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. In the days that people were writing the word, they feared even writing his name. Because of reverence for who God is. And at times those Jewish scribes felt unworthy to pen that special name. The Bible is God's holy, inspired, infallible word. And we must handle its truth with care. The same as that archaeologist did. The same as those who gave reverence to the very name of God. We need to pray in earnest for those who translate this word. Those who are faithfully trying as best as they can to take the word of God and and give it to those who know who don't have it in their own language. And 
painstakingly. They write and write and write. We need to pray for these people. We are blessed. We are so blessed, and yet we don't even realize it. Imagine this morning you got up. And you knew it was the Lord's Day somehow. And you had no Bible to hold in your hand. And yet at times, we never even open it from one Sunday to the next. At times, we quickly skim it. At times, we don't give it its proper place. We need to be praying for those who translate the word. Why? Because it's God's holy word. Remember when you were bad at school? I think perhaps maybe only me. But you did something naughty in the classroom and what would the teacher make you do? Lines. They were the bane of my existence. I was a bad boy at school. I had a lot of lines to write. But the teacher would make us write a line over and over and over again. And we would begin so well, our writing would be so neat, so proper. And slowly as you began to come down the page, you saw that the care wasn't given. The lines were now all over the place and even some of the words were missing. We become so familiar with these things that by the very end of writing all those things out, it's not even readable. That's why we need to pray for those who translate the word, that their minds would be sharp, that as they translate that holy word of God, that it would be infallible, that it would be inspired, and indeed it would be holy. Just last month, I went to Italy. I can hardly speak English, let alone Italian, Dutch, or German. And I can tell you that the language barrier is very, very difficult. I now know how to sell our products using sign language and many hand movements. But that is why we need translators so that people can be blessed just like us. Do you realize what you have in your hand this evening? The scripture comes to us from the heart of God. Therefore, we must guard its message. Therefore, we must pray for those who open the word. We must pray for those who transcribe the word. We must do it with dividing rightly the word of truth, as 2 Timothy 2 tells us. Those who preach and those who teach, be aware. When you stand in this pulpit or you stand in others, you will give an account for every word that you say. That is a fearful thing, brothers and sisters. 
but it's also for all of us in life. All of us will give an account for what we say and what we do, but those who stand here or those who stand in other pulpits, we're not here to give our own commentary. We're not here to push our own agendas. No, we must respect every word of God. That is why I've urged you through this series to slow down when you read. At times to pull on that handbrake to see the red warning lights, to see the green blessings of God and to take it and to learn from it. We must not twist it or or take its meaning out of context. We must bring the word of God and the word of God alone. We must handle this word with due diligence. If you ever for one minute think that Jeff or I or or anyone else is not doing this, then you must call us out on it. These things are of utmost importance. These things are not to be played with. These things are life and death. These things come from a holy, holy, holy God. Fathers, as you teach your children, be faithful to them throughout all of Scripture. Mothers, as you pour into your children, do it from the very words of God himself. Church, we need to be faithful to the word of God. There is a day coming. In fact, it's already here. That we need to put our line in the sand and not give it up. Do we believe the things of God or do we not? Are we going to be courageous for God or are we not? Why? Because look what the psalmist says next. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Although he is small and despised, he is insignificant and rejected by men. He does not capitulate to man's pressure. Why? Because he fears God more than he fears man. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of those all around us, even getting to church this evening and we look up the freeway and we see the row of cars who have no time for God at all. They'd rather buy apples and donuts and pies than come and hear the word of God. They will call us fools. They will call us small. They will call us insignificant. But because the psalmist and because we too love God's world, what does it matter? What does it matter if we gain the whole world and yet we lose our souls? The psalmist, even when he is beaten down, even when his enemies mock him, look what he says. Yet I do not forget your precepts. 
He remains faithful to the word of God above all else. He loves God and God's word more than the opinions of people. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 1. Beginning at verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This evening I ask you, who do you serve? Is it man or is it God? When we are ridiculed by this world, when we are lambasted for the truth of Christ, we must commit to obey it and we must commit not to forget it. Because thirdly, this evening, God's eternal word is sure. You see, things in this broken and fallen world do not last. Things wear out. Things break and cannot be repaired. We all grow old and die. And becoming into this world is nothing more than a memory. Go to the graveyards around here and look around. Nothing but memories. But thankfully, there is something that will never wear out. There is something that will never become obsolete or fade away. It is the righteous character of our eternal God and his righteous word. Isaiah got it exactly right when he said, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the righteous word of our righteous God remains forever. We are but a vapor. We are here today and gone tomorrow. But the word of God shall remain forever. And because it remains forever, the psalmist goes on to say, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is truth. God's righteous word is eternal. Why would we pursue that which is passing away? that moth and rust decay. God's righteousness has salvation and his peace lasts forever. Pursue that which endures, dear saint. Pursue that which lasts forever. God's word and eternity will last forever and being with him is what we should aim to do. When all else fails, we can count on God fulfilling his word 
Time and time again, we read of he goes to prepare a place for us. There is that of eternity, that which is coming in heaven. Why on earth would we hold on to the things of this world? God's word is truth. The Son of God is truth. The Spirit of God is truth. The Spirit of truth wrote the truth, the the word of truth, to reveal to you the Son. Christ, in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, these things were written for you and for me to know more of him, to live a life that is true to his word. You see, majority rule is right and fair indeed for electing mayors, for representatives, and indeed presidents. Although it sometimes allows less than honorable people to get into office. But people go too far when they want to apply the principle of majority rule to moral standards. They say that if the majority favors abortion, if the majority favors pornography, if the majority favors homosexual marriages, then it's acceptable. Some things are not up for vote. If we had a vote tomorrow and 100% of the voters decided to repel the law of gravity, it wouldn't change anything. You still couldn't jump off a building without being smashed in the ground. And just as God has established physical laws that cannot be broken, so too has he set up moral laws. And if we break them, we're we're ultimately broken by them. Think of marriage in our day. Instituted as one flesh, a union between one man and one woman. The Bible tells us ever so clearly Genesis 2, verse 24. Even if a state votes to accept that perversion of that standard by allowing two people of the same sex to marry, God's law remains the correct guideline for us as believers. It's not two men. It's not two women or two people who identify as something different. The word of our holy, holy, holy God is clear on these things. It's crystal clear. It's also clear that when people are looking to get married, and one is a believer, the other must be too. Young person seeking marriage, if you are here this evening and you are a believer, You shouldn't be looking for a spice at the bar or the local nightclub, should you? No, because the Word of God tells us that we are not to be unequally yoked. We must look to the pages of Scriptures in our day more than perhaps any other day. We must obey the Word of God. The Word of God is not up for vote. It's not like you guys can come in here next Sunday and hold a vote and bring in a a woman pastor. These things are not up for vote. 
God's word is the standard we as believers must live by. But are we courageous to do so? God's word not only consoles us in trouble, but it also delights us. Look at verse 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. This morning I was convicted. When was the last time we read the law of God? When trouble and distress comes along our way, the Bible tells us to look to God. And here we have, in these verses, the way we should live our lives. Exodus 20, at verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a card image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no or any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or as, or as male servant, or as female servant, or as ox, or as donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then look at verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. These are his commands. 
These are the things that we need to read when perhaps we're discouraged and we're overwhelmed. The very commands, the very principles that God has given him, given us, because what? They should be our delight. When feelings deceive you, when feelings deceive you into thinking that serving the Lord is not worth it, turn immediately to the Word of God and delight yourself in the Lord. I just don't feel like reading my Bible today. Grab it, get it opened. Read it. Find a quiet spot and open up the Word of God when perhaps you think, well, I'm tired. I I won't come back to church in the evening. That's the very thing you need to do. Grab your keys and get here. The Word of God should be our delight. Anytime it is read or it is opened, we should delight in it. And as the psalmist completes this meditation upon God's word, he says this. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. God's word is eternal. And since God is its source, it will last forever. But if we are to understand it, God must open our eyes to it. We read that in Luke 24. But here the psalmist shows us, as he thinks of his righteous God, as he thinks of his righteous word, look what he says at the very end. His cry is, Lord, help me. Give me understanding of your word that I may live. The word of God is not that which beats us and keeps us down. The word of God is that which gives us life and gives us vitality. Look deep into the word of God. Be changed by its perfect truthfulness. Be changed and see the need of growing your spiritual life. This section is bound together by a theme of righteousness. If you don't know what that is, I have a book here you can read. There are many more in there also. Speak to someone. A righteous God is a God who has revealed himself in truth. And indeed, who is true himself. And he's true to us this evening. God does not waver like us. God does not change like us. God is the one who gives us peace. God is the one who gives us hope. God is the one who gives us eternal life through his son. His righteousness is eternal. Your righteousness is righteous forever. Life comes to an end to us all. Death comes to each of us. But what will we do while we're here? Will we live a life that is pleasing to God? A life that is pleasing to his word? Or will we hold on to those things that are fleeting? Those things that moth and rust destroy? And those things that bring about damnation to our souls? This evening I ask you, what will you do with these things? What will you do 
with this stanza of Psalm 119 this evening. Righteousness are are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried. Your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we confess to you our great God, our our lack in these days. Our lack of standing and having that zeal for even those who have no time for you or your word. Lord, we pray in these days that you would give us boldness and courage to stand for the truth of your word. But we ask, O Lord, that you would give us that understanding. Even this weekend, the theme has been about learning and education. Lord, we pray that you would educate us from your word. Give us time to study. Enable us, help us to use our times wisely in these days. Even as husbands and fathers and as mothers and even as as groups of parents and grandchildren, O Lord, give give us opportunities to teach and instruct our children from your word. As pastors and elders, O Lord, help us in these days to carefully and faithfully open your word correctly. Lord, we even think of those who know you not this evening who have absolutely no time for your word. Lord, give us that zeal and that hunger to go after them in these days, to teach them and tell them the truth. But, O Lord, we ask that you would save them. Lord, take that knowledge they have, even some sitting here this evening who have a great knowledge of you and yet their heart is far from you. Lord, may it be even before their head would hit the pillow tonight that they would come and cry unto you and that you, Lord, would save their soul. Lord, be with us. Enable us, take care of us even throughout the rest of this week and bring us back here again to worship and praise you midweek and even next Lord's Day. And as we leave, O Lord, may we know your presence and your help amongst us. For we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.